So just before we start, um, so you know there might be some discussion of sexual assault in this. We will not go into graphic details, but if that's something that bothers you, we just wanted to make sure that you're warned before we begin. Today I got a package at work and I thought it was my inheritance script. The mailroom was like, you have a package. And I was like, oh my god, it's my inheritance script. I like ran over it, but it wasn't just a fucking card that I already voided and got a new one. So, oh, okay. So welcome back to season two of Bottomless Broadway where we drink... What was it? Mimosas over talk, musicals. We drink where we talk musicals over <laughs> mimosas. Um, I'm Cindy and I'm here with my co-host Christine. We're going to review our second musical of the 2020 season. And this time we're very excited to review a show that we've already seen twice. Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> Okay, cool. So do you want to start with five words? Yes, I I totally have five words. I need to find them in my in my ripped up. Okay. I just feel like it's a really nice takeaway for like fans our age from seeing this show, which mm-hmm. like I think Frankie kind of mentions at the end of the show, which is know your parents as people. Yeah, I think that's really true. Um, I feel like, well... I don't know about your parents, but my mom especially is kind of like Mary Jane in the show, who's the the mom of the family, where she like does a bunch of stuff, but doesn't want people to realize that she's doing all that stuff. What are your five words? Well, so I had a a couple different options, but I'm going to go with the men were pretty useless (laughs) because, well, so when the cast was announced, they're not super big names. And I think the one that I recognize the most, which is was Derek Klena, who was most recently Dimitri in Anastasia. And mm-hmm. he sings, like, one song here. The dad is, like, almost even more useless. Yeah. They're just, like, Do any of don't... them what? qualify? Do any of them qualify? I mean, for... technically, they all qualify for featured. So um, no leads. No, the only lead is Elizabeth Stanley playing the mom. Damn. It was kind of nice in a way because it's all, like, female-driven stories. It really seemed like Frankie should qualify for a lead, especially because all I really want is her song for the most part. Yeah. And that was like one of the things that I kind of wrote down for this was um, it from the beginning, it kind of seems like it's her story until you get to the end and you kind of realize how um, her mom is the lead. I guess it is like a mother daughter relationship kind of story. But also I like not just Frankie's, but like in general, like the high schoolers songs a lot more than the mom and dad songs i guess they get more of the famous songs but i really like the mom's song that was the original song um smiling like the staging is really cool for that also but um i think that's one of my favorite songs actually the staging's cool a lot i feel like a lot of the mom songs kind of blend together she's very um like they're all that kind of like dreamy half fake super slow yeah thing um which got like a little tiring i mean overall it was really good do you want to um give a a summary so that (laughs) or at least try to there's a lot going on yeah i probably won't give like a massive summary but minor spoilers ahead so jagged little pill is alanis is an alanis morissette jukebox musical about like an affluent white connecticut family 
with like a typical Manhattan commuting white collar dad, an overly concerned about appearances and images, semi drug addict mother, this like perfect golden boy, Harvard early admission son, and then a, an adopted black bisexual activist daughter. It is hard to talk a lot about it without spoiling it um, because a lot, like a lot happens and it's not necessarily like every day, but the story still does have like a very slice of life feel, I would say. The two kids, Nick, the the Harvard boy, and Frankie, the black girl, are both too cool for parties in different ways. But then for their own reasons, they end up at this big high school drunken rager and everything goes to shit there. So the moral of the story is do not let your children go to high school parties. <laughs> so I actually thought this was an interesting way of doing things because like you mentioned, it's kind of slice of life. Like there's no way this would all happen to one family in real life. But for the sake of entertainment, they do kind of show everything happening to this one family. It's like a chain of events, but like it could happen. That's true. But um, in the beginning, it was really hard to tell like where this was going because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. It feels like a slice of life it just seems like a series of vignettes like the first scene is uh them talking about like all their accomplishments and then they're having like an argument over breakfast and then they're just at school and like running into issues there so you're just like okay cool these are just like glimpses of their life and then after that party is where the plot like really kicks in and you actually can kind of see how the rest of the show might unfold but it it does take a few other turns before you get to the end which i thought was a pretty cool way of doing it yeah, I feel like it was on purpose because I think like those beginning scenes were just like, you, we could just be like any family in Connecticut. We could be you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and also like we start off not knowing shit. And then like at intermission, I feel like we really care about a lot of the characters, which is also really nice. I mean, like there's a lot of good musicals that have this, but it is hard because like, it's two and a half hours and usually there's like a lot less like passage of time than like a movie or something, for example. So mm. I feel like it's like harder to really care about characters or like really care about the plot and like how it ends um, yeah. for musicals. And I really cared about this one. I think it was smart because the characters kind of started out as tropes, but as the show develops, they really get more characteristics as you see them in other scenes and they take yeah. a few different qualities that um, I think make them really well-rounded, which make them a lot easier to care about. Yeah, I think like an example for me is they have that scene um, where she's talking to the other super obnoxious white suburban moms, I guess. And then um, they're like, Nick got into Harvard, like, congratulations, it's going to be so much easier for Frankie since she's black. And then one of the moms is like, but I know friend's kid who's half Mexican, and he got into Brown easily. So like, with someone like Frankie, she could get into and the mom's like extra Brown. So she's like a little bit woke also, but also not. And then also a drug addict. It makes like her character progression and who she becomes at the end of the story make sense. Yeah. And I thought that line was a really good addition because first of all, it's kind of funny because it's like, oh, brown mm-hmm. and extra brown. And there's a um, a black barista behind them who's just like rolling her eyes so She's hard. Like, Fuck this. <laughs> yeah. So MJ adopted Frankie and Frankie also has this kind of tension with her parents where because her parents are all white and she lives in an all white neighborhood, she feels like they don't understand her. That scene also, I was like, you know, MJ, she does have to like fight for Frankie 
and sort of do all this stuff that Frankie doesn't know about because of how people perceive her in this very like white suburban neighborhood. It's just like another facet to her personality. Frankie said something that was like almost like slave play like. Yeah. Because she meets this guy named Phoenix. She's like just kind of like opening up to him. She's like, I'm adopted. My mom always says that she doesn't see color, but I sometimes wish that she did. And then it, she like brings it up later on in the show. And I think what she's trying to say, the fact that her mom was just like, oh, you're just like the rest of us, like didn't work out because she's not just like the rest of them, even if her mom truly believes that. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like like the whole slave play thing, which was like in an interracial couple, you need to recognize your differences and your history and everything. I was kind of like surprised to see that motif carry across shows. Yeah, I was talking to someone else um, when I was brushing West Side Story, actually. I was because she had just seen Jagged Little Pill the night before. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, and like slave play and that whole theme, that's kind of what Frankie's going through with, you know, we talk about everyone should be equal and everyone should be treated the same and it should all be colorblind. But sometimes you have to acknowledge the differences and people can see the differences. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense i guess it's just not something that i really have thought about which is great because like alice and i were talking about this the other day and she was telling devin about what the constitution means to me because i think she like liked the show and devin hadn't seen it before but i was always like like what the constitution means to me it's really cool like i get what it's trying to do but like for someone like us minority women grew up in socal nothing in there was like new information to me i was like she's right but i also knew this since i was 14 right you know well i mean that's kind of one of the things with broadway in general is that it's mostly liberal so a lot of these messages just come off as like preaching to the choir like people who need to see these shows and sort of learn what these points of view are are not necessarily the people who traditionally go to broadway maybe she was just trying to preach to the rich old white people with their <laughs> 250,000 average household income. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not saying it shouldn't have been on Broadway, but I'm just saying, like, that's, I feel like, pretty symptomatic of Broadway in general. I feel like we have a lot more plot points to talk about, but do we want to just, like, kind of go through them as we do the songs? Yeah, like, obviously, this is a jukebox musical. It's based off the Jagged Little Pill album. They use every song in the album plus like three other songs from other albums and then two original songs written for this show. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I didn't know that this was a jukebox musical and I had never heard her songs before, I don't think I would have guessed because the songs just spoke to the scenes that they were in so well. By far the most well-integrated jukebox musical, um, especially because like it's not a biopic either. So like it wasn't something where like you could just slot in these songs wherever the fuck you wanted to. Yeah, I feel like a lot of what we'll be talking about will just be like why the songs fit the scene or like how they were staged. Yeah, and it was it was kind of cool because there was one interview where Diablo Cody, the book writer, was talking about how they she was listening through the songs just to like try to get ideas, and the one that she fixated on was Mary Jane, and she was just like fascinated at this idea of like a person who, you know, like carries the weight of the world on their shoulders but like pretends they don't and. Like, all the traits that they mentioned in the song, and that's kind of where they started, was with the mom. Which also kind of explains why they see her as the main character and the leading um, the leading role. Which is pretty cool, because a lot of shows have that, like, image-obsessed housewife as, like, a villain. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the prom. <laughs> so it's like kind of nice to see the other side, especially it wasn't like it wasn't like in defense of bad people. So it actually technically the track list starts with an overture. It is kind of like an actual overture because it's like a medley of like two or three of her top songs. And it ends with You Ought to Know. And they have all these like screens moving around with like images of people and stuff. And then it ends with like a title card. Now, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, is this a TV show? Like what is happening? Because it just says like Jagged Little Pill and it like kind of flashes like a TV title card. The other thing about seeing it twice, because we went like pretty early in previews, I think like the first week or something. And at that time, they like transitioned pretty smoothly into You Ought to Know, but it's just like all the chorus is still singing it. But Lauren Patton as Joe is pretty widely considered the breakout star of this show. And she sings that song in Act 2. And so when we went um, the second time, she actually just takes over that as a solo. You know, when we saw it the first time, I'm pretty sure, even being drunk, that I told you. I was like, I would see this show just to see that number again. Yeah. And then... Alice said the exact same thing. Like, I never said that to her. But then when we walked out, she was like, I would rewatch this just to see her perform You Ought to Know again. It is so amazing. There's like a mid-act standing ovation. They know it. Like, the production knows it's coming. So they turn on, like, concert lighting. Like, they light the house a little (laughs) so so that she can see that everyone is standing up for her. They do that, like, light sweeping through the audience thing that, like, Jersey Boys does when they're trying to tell you that you're backstage. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Also, the amount of lights they had in this show, like they had little like lighting strips on each of the panels that they move around for the set. And then Mm -hmm. in the actual like house of the theater up where the chandeliers are part of the theater, they have like a whole array of lights up there. And then they have a whole array Mm -hmm. of lights above the stage. And they have this like triangle of lights that will come down during scenes like you ought to know. The staging for the house is really really cool actually but right through you which is like the second half of the opening number i guess it's not super interesting but it's like immediately my thought was like wow like this song fits so well into the scene because it starts with um the mom mary jane just being like i'm so happy like we're so rich my son just gone to harvard and then her family like goes off to school goes off to work or whatever and then she starts like popping pills like the ensemble comes on and they're like i see right through you and it fits so well like right away it does a really good job of like setting the theme of the show like no one's actually as perfect as the family seems next song is very aptly named a hundred percent i want song of this show it's It's really easy when they when they do say what i want all i really want (laughs) i think this is the first song where i was like oh this is not like a typical jukebox musical because first of all the song they'll have um different lines and it's not just like one person singing the whole song which i feel like happens in most jukebox musicals so the first line is frankie says do i stress you out and mary jane will literally say yes like in response so they're first of all they're actually responding to what they're saying they're really paying attention to the words and not just like oh here's a song that like kind of thematically fits let's just slap it in and then later Mm -hmm. um frankie says like enough about me let's talk about you for a minute and then mary jane says enough about you let's talk about life for a while which fits in with their characters because frankie's like 
you're always like obsessing over what I'm wearing, like what I'm doing, and you never approve, like etc. So like, let's not talk about me anymore. And then Mary Jane's like, oh, but like, there's all this other stuff that you need to worry about. Well, I also saw it as like Mary Jane being deflecting because like mm-hmm. Frankie is like, let's talk about you, and she's like, oh no no no, let's talk about life. Yeah, that's also true. But yeah, I love almost a hundred percent of the dialogue that is like slotted into songs because it just it makes more sense because it will always be difficult to like make a jukebox musical that works a hundred percent like as well as if you were writing songs for the musical you know but like the dialogue that they like add in to like react to the lyrics of the songs work really really well yeah and i guess part of it is also just the way alana's Marzette wrote her songs um Mm -hmm. it just works really well as this kind of musical storytelling piece she like it wasn't like expected to be staged so i feel like the lyrics are like really rich there's like a there's a lot going on like there's a lot of things that frankie wants Mm -hmm. yeah and like one of the producers kind of mentioned when they decided to do this for a show they were like the nice thing about Alanis's songs are that they're like huge musical numbers but they're talking about something really small and really specific which is basically what you need for a musical and throughout the whole show they do a really good job of like giving people lines um that fit their character like Mm -hmm. Steve and Nick Steve is the dad and Nick both sing like a line here and it it doesn't feel awkward like obviously they got the lines because those were the ones that didn't fit Frankie or MJ But, like, Mm -hmm. it still fits because they're all in this, like, family breakfast together. They all have tensions between them. Right. It's true through, like, a lot of the... Yeah. I mean, like, speaking of um, characters interacting with other people who are singing, like, the next song is Hand in My Pocket, which is primarily Joe singing. I didn't realize she was so great, but until, like, the first time I saw You Ought to Know, so then obviously this time watching it, I was, like, really paying attention. She has a really, like unique voice too and it fits these songs yeah i think acting's great her voice isn't that similar to alanis morissette's but i feel like her demeanor might joe's character fits that too yeah but yeah like in this song when she says i've got one hand in my pocket and the other one's holding up a peace sign frankie's like a peace sign like what decade are you in and she's like hey we all need some peace right now like you know, and it just like it's a way of acknowledging how some of the lyrics maybe don't fit, turns it around and kind of makes them fit. I feel like the fact that like Alanis Morissette is so supportive of this like goes a long way. Yeah. And she was the one when they approached her about making this into a jukebox musical. She was the one that was like, yeah, do whatever you want with it. Just like the only condition is I don't want it to be about me. And they were like, you know, that makes sense. Like these songs are very like activist and very much like in the moment so we want to update it to current times i'm lost but i'm hopeful baby and what it all comes down to is that everything's gonna be fine 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 next song is smiling so this is the first original song i love this song elizabeth stanley performs it really well too i would be interested in hearing alanis morissette sing it also just to see Ooh, that would be so cool if she did that yeah exactly because it's a very different vibe from like her other songs this is where you really see like kind of how deep mary jane is in her issues with opioid addiction and she's just kind of going through everything in a haze um and like 
it's just her daily activity. She's just not really paying attention and all of that. And you're like, oh, oh is that what the rewind is? I think so. That's how okay, I took so, it. Wait, sorry, really quick background is um, this song like goes in reverse. But then we see like this whole rewinding happen until she's back in the alley where she's like buying her drugs, basically. Mm-hmm. And like all the actors are like walking backwards, like bagging groceries backwards, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought it was like a representation of her regret. Oh, I mean, it still could be. I saw it as, like, she's just sort of going through the motions and, like, every day is kind of the same for her. Like, oh, she, mm-hmm. like, leaves the house. She goes by goes to buy groceries. She meets up with her other um, friends for Soul Cycle, And it's just, like, the same. And she's just, like, just struggling to just keep that normal because mm-hmm. she's getting, like, worse and worse with her addiction. And, I mean, the lyrics are, like... I keep on smiling, can't stand still, like, but this is the sound of me hitting bottom. This is my surrender. Um, So she's just, like, trying to hold it together is how I saw that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's just because, like, she's, like, so afraid to ask for help because she's afraid of it ruining. Yeah. She has to, like, just show how strong and how together she is about it. Meanwhile, at school, they're in writing class and the teacher's like, oh, we're going to do like a peer review. So Frankie's going to read something out loud and we're all going to talk about it. My coworker was just like, oh, my God, ironic. It's like such a weird song. We don't know why it's ironic. It's just really <laughs> sad. But it's OK. They address that. Right. It's like another super self-aware moment because like Frankie's like, isn't it ironic? And then her classmates are like, no, that's just shitty. And the first character that like <laughs> says that, like people in the audience clapped because I feel like everyone was like, finally, someone said it. <laughs> But yeah, but then there's like, it's a convenient way of also introducing Phoenix. She's saying like, it's like meeting the boy of my dreams and then meeting his, and then wife is normally the word, but then she like trails off and he just says like, I'm not seeing anyone. And it's just like a a smart way of like making them fit. The rolling classroom desks dancing was pretty. My other possible five words were, they really wanted a turntable. Um, couldn't afford because they keep doing this thing in different scenes where they keep with the church church benches yeah with like the church benches with those desks with um the playground later maybe they blew all their money on projections and they're like well (laughs) fuck it's a black fly in your chardonnay it's a death row pardon two minutes too late and isn't it ironic don't you think I talked about how um, both Frankie and MJ start out as tropes and then they get rounded out. But with the guys, they never really do. Like Steve starts out as a guy who's like a workaholic. And um, when he comes home, like Mary Jane's like not interested in um, like having sex with him and stuff and like being affectionate. And he's just like, oh, well, I guess I'll go watch more porn. The other thing about Nick is like, so like Frankie is kind of this like, little teenage hero of the show compared to Nick, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, Nick is actually, like, a pretty great person. A great brother, like, a great son. And the way that, like, I like Frankie is totally different. Like, I want Frankie to, like, succeed in everything she's trying to do because I don't want to shatter her, like, purest 
ideals. Hmm. Yeah. I remember I was surprised about this one thing about Nick. When Frankie was talking to Phoenix and then he was like, when can I read more of your writing? Because he's trying to flirt with her. She was like, oh, I don't let anyone read my writing except my brother. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they tried to make Nick like kind of a cool dude. A benefit to keeping him this very like bland golden boy character is like i could kind of feel mary jane like the mom's point when she was like oh no no no, you can't do any of this because it's gonna ruin your future like you have a clean slate like look how lucky you are and like he is kind of supposed to like fit into that because i think like if he had a lot more shit going for himself like then like I wouldn't really feel Mary Jane's argument at all. I would be like, oh, I'll just leave him alone. But then because he is like a deer that cannot stand on his own legs, Mm -hmm. you like empathize with Mary Jane a little. Yeah. But I mean, like part of it is also why like um, Perfect, which is the song that he sings, it seemed to just really slow down everything. Like it doesn't give us anything that is new about him unlike the other songs that we've seen so far and like skipping slightly ahead in um that i would be good it's a song that um frankie sings as she's bonding frankie and phoenix both sing it together because they're just like bonding over like being kind of misfits and stuff um but i felt like it would almost fit nick better we're talking about like that i would be good even if i did nothing that i would be good even if i got the thumbs down um, that I would be good mm-hmm. even if I got resentful. Like, it seems like these are all things that Nick wants to to sort of explore. Like, And he asks his mom, he's like, would it have been okay if I didn't get into Harvard? And she's like, well, we always knew you were mm-hmm. going to. And he's like, no, but but what if I didn't? And like, she never really answers that. And so I felt like either adding Nick to this song, like even Joe is sings part of this song also, like either adding Nick or just giving this one to him, I feel like would have been mm-hmm. more interesting than than perfect that's such a good point i totally agree with that perfect it doesn't really leave like a lasting impression on the audience that like nick is struggling with his image or like feels insecure that if he did something wrong it would all go away um and it's and it never becomes like a big part of his character either but it totally could have it's cool because like it's just about this like very sheltered guy kind of like seeing the cracks in the system through the women in his life yeah yeah and it's like him learning to take a stand and make decisions for himself for the first time Mm -hmm. i was just gonna say that like stat i always bring up because i'm so proud of myself that how guys with like sisters have better marriages because they learn to respect women from a younger age i feel like that's what happened to nick in this story yeah he was like well fuck everyone gets raped oh my god don't forget to win the first place Don't forget to keep that smile on your face Okay, so they go to a party. So Frankie and Nick both go to a party. It's not really their scene. Um, Frankie leaves with Phoenix. Nick has like a swim team best friend named Andrew. And then Andrew like assaults this girl named Bella. And then the next day, it's, like, all over social media. Frankie asks him, like, hey, did you see this? Like, what happened? And and he plays it off. He's like, oh, like, 
Bella is just making it up. She's always been dramatic. And then Frankie's like, you just like preach all this stuff and you don't actually follow through and like you don't actually respect a woman is basically what she's saying. What is it like? You only like snow if it's warm. Yeah. You like rain, but only if it's dry. It's pretty accurate of like all entitled children. So (laughs) yeah, you know, it works out. Mary Jane like also gets in on this, which is like kind of interesting because um, they were saying how this show kind of subverts a few tropes. Like a man is the one that seems so unsexy. That's Steve. And then when there's a girl talking about how she was sexually abused, it's another older woman who's also like putting her down like being like oh yeah there's no way that's true like you sure about that like we know andrew like he's a good kid and then um and so that's why frankie's also just so frustrated with the rest of her family and then like mary jane's just kind of like going through this whole thing of like my whole family's gone to shit and and so she goes to church because that's where you go i guess (laughs) part is really funny because i think it's like exactly how you would imagine someone who doesn't go to church but is very desperate <laughs> to pray she's just like all right god we got some things to talk about and i'm like yeah that's definitely gonna get his attention if you could like just fix all of them like right now that would be absolutely would be great. great but yeah this is act one finale which is kind of an interesting finale because it's when you first see it it's definitely like all mary jane and then the chorus kind of just like joins in with what she's saying because she's basically saying like hey i had my reasons for doing what i did um we all have a thing or two to learn to we all need something to cling to and that kind of opens up the song to everyone else also and the other characters join in audio (laughs) it's um i think it's a really nice like um act one finale because it's like a huge belting number the whole cast joins in mm-hmm. um like visually it's like a little boring but i do like that it ends act one the way that it started because the overture also starts with like the ensemble members joining in to drag a little pill one by one mm-hmm. and like having their line also has what they call an on-tract which is i forget i think this is part of wake up like oh this could get messy and they do that actually a lot which i guess is sort of where that greek chorus idea comes to mind like the chorus starts and ends each of the acts mary jane and steve go see a marriage therapist they're both extremely passive aggressive about it mary jane's like i don't want to pay 500 dollars for someone else to tell us that our marriage is not working out like this is bullshit for someone to tell us that you're a workaholic but what's great is like so they start jabbing at each other because like steve is like we don't fuck anymore and then mary jane is like what and then she's like this guy watches and at the very beginning of the show like beginning of act one mary jane has a monologue where she's like i monitor steve's internet usage and he is watching some seriously hardcore porn and in my mind i was like this guy must be watching some like bondage gangbang (laughs) stuff and then she's like he's watching redhead milfs and i'm like that seems like extremely normal porn like i don't want to burst your bubble (laughs) frankie and phoenix like slowly come on the stage and they start singing head over feet and um this is like their love song but it's interesting because they selectively choose bits of lines for mary jane and steve to sing to each other and it 
it's kind of similar to um, Requiem and Dear Evan Hansen, where they could be seeing the same things, but with like completely different meaning. And it feels almost like the end of his and Mary Jane's relationships is sort of giving way to the beginning of Phoenix and Frankie's relationships. So Glee did this one episode called Jagged Little Tapestry, where they would like mash up Carol King and Alanis Morissette songs. And there's this actually like really good mashup of um, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow and Head Over Feet. And it's like so pretty. Like I'll put a link to it. But yeah, they do a pretty funny transition here because they're in the playground and then all of a sudden like Phoenix is in her bed. And then like she has an argument with her parents. She kind of brings up this whole like you should have recognized that I was black. Yeah. And then Steve is like, Mary Jane, what the fuck? You should have recognized she was black. <laughs> and then Mary Jane is like, bitch, you're in Manhattan 60 hours a week. Like, I had to do all of this shit when, like, kids at school were, like, making fun of her and saying that she was pretty, but just for a black girl. And I pretend like I don't see color because I don't want her to know that. But, like, I have struggled trying to, like, make things like the best I can yeah. for her. Well, and that's what I really liked about the um, the earlier line when she's like, oh, what, she's going to go to extra brown? Because you see just like a tiny flash of that. And here it's like full blown. And Which like she could never say to Frankie because Frankie's already like, wow, you feel like such a hero for adopting a black girl, which is also a valid point. There's right. just like struggles between race that like, I guess like you just can't do anything about. Yeah. And then Predator is the other new song that Alanis wrote for this um Bella's kind of just like going through the events of what happened at the party and it's done in this really cool like interpretive dance like she switches places with this other dancer who's representing her so that partially so that they can do like a really interesting dance and part of it so that she can kind of like have this out-of-body experience of seeing what happened to her and like the events of the party and all that stuff. This is not the first time that this dancer shows up. Um, she also interpretive dances through some of Mary Jane's scenes. The other dance that this, um, this actor does, which I don't have the playbill in front of me, so I don't know what her name is, um, but she's great. But then the other dance she does in place of Mary Jane is uninvited. And so that happens later when like Mary Jane's kind of by herself. My goodness is commendable, but won't pull your heartstrings. This magnet for predators is dying to be discerning. Joe, like, gets to have her confrontation with Frankie after finding out that um, Frankie has been cheating on her with phoenix that was a really interesting plot line because you know frankie's painted out to be this like activist and feminist and like trying to do the right thing but then on the other hand she like is very careless with her friend's feelings and stuff like both with phoenix and with joe she like doesn't really think about what they're going through she's just like oh look it's me like i'm in love what was a little weird to me and i guess it's like it's not terrible because we do know that she's like in high school and very young so like it can be assumed that she's still like figuring out her sexuality not that you have to be in high school to do that but like 
you right. know, like it's implied. And also she doesn't say that she's bisexual until after she falls in love with Phoenix. But they do make it seem less like cheating because Phoenix is a guy and Joe is a girl. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Which I think is also um, another facet of society. I liked that because um, Joe is like very confident in who she is. Like she sings hand in my mm-hmm. pocket. Um, but and she's like, hey, this was shitty of you because what we had was a real relationship. Man, Joe is just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? She is so cool. If I knew her in high school, I would definitely date her. But yeah, you ought to know. Obviously, we've talked a lot about it already. It's an amazing point. Honestly, the physicality of a lot of these actors, like, so she's singing this. She's like jumping around. She's like convulsing. She's like doing all this crazy stuff. Um, and then also earlier. Perfect. Yeah. And, and it doesn't sound like she's having any trouble with like breath support or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And then earlier they have like Derek Klenna like just belting stuff while doing push-ups and i'm like i can barely breathe through a push-up like <laughs> you ought to know is just an amazing number i want them to do it at the tonys like purely selfishly i just want to see it again I was listening through the cast album that they recorded for this and it felt like it was kind of hit or miss with like the energy of the songs like you ought to know comes across like almost as good as it does on stage um and I think a lot of that is just because of Lauren Patton's performance too but some of the other songs like a lot of the songs with chorus just seem like they're kind of a cover version of an Alanis Morissette song and less of like a musical theater number some cast recordings are able to capture like the energy of the stage and some like aren't as much i do want to say just backtracking again in predator where like bella sings how like she remembered the night of the party um they do some really cool like sound work with um like flashbacking the party where she hears like like laughs and like chatter through that like dreamlike kind of filter and it sounds like they're underwater or something yeah i agree that was great also um there's a couple occurrences where like there's a lady drinking coffee pushing a carriage as just like an extra walking through that connecticut life you know what i'm talking about (laughs) i swear that she looks drunker and drunker every (laughs) scene like i feel like they were trying to be like her coffee cup is actually filled with wine see right through them i feel like that'd be a kind of a cool um like, you know how sometimes ensemble members will, like, sort of create their own characters? And I thought about Parasite during this. This is super random. Oh, okay. But, you know, there's that scene where, um, like, the mom and the dad, like, the rich mom and dad are on a couch and they start, like, dry humping. Yeah. Um, so I was really confused because when I watched this with subtitles, um, like, the mom is suddenly like, buy me drugs, buy me drugs. And my immediate thought was like, oh, she's a rich suburban mom that probably needs drugs. Um, <laughs> and then it took me a while to, like, then realize that it was because, like, the dad was like, it would be so hot if you pretended to be that crack whore. Yeah. I don't know. Like, when she said buy me drugs, I was like, that makes sense. Like, she looks fucking <laughs> depressed. Why wouldn't she be? Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but at intermission, I was like, so where do we think this is happening? And you're like, it's probably Connecticut or something. 
And then in Act 2, they were like, yep, in Connecticut. But I feel like they made it a lot more obvious now. So I don't know if they added that. Well, I definitely don't think they had like the Connecticut bakery in the first time we saw it. Because we wouldn't have missed that. Yeah. Also, apparently that's an actual bakery in Brooklyn or something. (laughs) That's just called Connecticut Muffin. (laughs) What's pretty cool is like at the very start of the show, Mary Jane's like sending out her Christmas letter from the year before. She talks a lot about like very superficial achievement and then um at the end of the show when she's sending out like the christmas letter from the following year she focuses on like other stuff i feel like even though she probably was proud of frankie because she still seemed like a pretty decent mother most of the time Mm -hmm. like it was nice to see her like vocalize that and like not be ashamed of vocalizing that yeah and um I think part of it is also just like different ways to measure success and to measure like how well you're doing in life. Um, right. So which like fittingly totally enough, the, the finale number is you learn. Overall, I love this show. Yeah. The book is fantastic. Obviously, it doesn't have any chance with score, Shonies, but yeah. the book is great. The show is great. Most of the cast is pretty solid. Like, I don't actually think Elizabeth Stanley has like a great shot i think she could um, get a nomination okay so oh yeah yeah i just don't think she has a great shot at winning my five that i think will be leading actress nominated are katrina lank for mm-hmm. company adrian warren for tina elizabeth stanley for this karen olivo for moulin rouge and um sharon d clark for carolina change which she won the olivier for. and i think of those very stiff competition yeah it's just it's just like very tough to tell like i don't think elizabeth stanley or karen Olivo is gonna win like but the yeah. other three it's very hard to tell because sharon d clark and adrian warren basically went head to head in the Olivier's. but obviously it's like different production different people voting so even for people who like didn't like jagged little pill as much like reviews and all that um after lauren Patton, i think elizabeth stanley was like considered the next standout because apparently she's like one of those actresses who have been around a lot and in kind of minor roles which is why she's not really like a big name but a lot of people were like i'm so glad that she has this role and she's just like knocking it out of the park and um the people who like don't like this show their main issues are with like the plot lines and like they think it's too overstuffed and it should have just been her story which i don't agree with but um they thought that she did a really good job of like just crafting this character and like giving it depth and all that which i do agree with that um yeah and you said lauren Patton is probably just her versus patty yeah basically um i could not think of other featured actresses in musicals as of now like if six is smart they'll put everyone in featured because the leading is already pretty much locked up um, well, Olivier did that bullshit where there's literally a rule against it in Tony's. Like, <laughs> I can't. Is it new or is um, it always? Good? It's like always. Well, not always. I think the last time they nominated all the Billy Elliots together because it was like the kids that were like switching off the role because it's against labor laws to make kids perform eight performances a week. So they nominated all of them together. But then after that, they're like, no, we're not doing this again. So, I did not like yeah. it when they did that at Olivier's because, well, I don't know, like, the Broadway cast well, but, like, the West End cast, I definitely feel like some of the queens were better than others. Yeah, but, I mean, like, as far as Tony's go, I feel like Six could maybe take two of the slots or something. 
Um, mm. The only other people I wrote down were um, Celia Rose Gooding for Jag Little Pill for Frankie um, because mm. she would be considered featured, which is probably smarter on their part. And then Erica Henningsen, formerly of Mean Girls, for she's going to be in Flying Over Sunset, but no one knows anything about that show. <laughs> um, and then maybe Judy Kay and Diana as um, Queen Elizabeth. I think this category is wide open. So I think it literally is just going to be Lauren Patton versus Patty LuPone. Uh, you have any clothing <laughs> closing thoughts? Do I have clothing thoughts. Do you have um, clothing? <laughs> I hope this wins at least like one Tony because I could also see this like a real award. Yeah. Like a show award. I mean, I could also see this kind of going the prom route where like, you know, everyone really likes it. But then just like the way the categories stack up, it doesn't get anything, which would be really sad. How do you feel about like set? or lighting or i mean I sound we already talked about is pretty cool yeah i think it should get a nomination for lighting i think moulin rouge or six is gonna win though i, I mean moulin rouge is like it's one of the best yeah. parts of the show is just Ex- the set. exactly so <laughs> which i like, think we hated so much we didn't talk enough about the set <laughs> um but yeah so like i think it it should rack up a fair number of nominations like this would be my pick for best musical like i thought they handled the topics really well and in a really meaningful matter but um just with us and our friends who have seen it like all of us were like i would definitely watch this again and even after watching it a second time i think we're both like i would definitely watch this again because it is a jukebox musical it's like fairly accessible for people that aren't theater fans but also it truly is a good show so like if anyone's trying to recommend shows to like acquaintances or coworkers or visiting friends who aren't huge theater fans but want to see something that's not three hundred dollars um this would be a great option yeah and i think it like kind of lives in that same sort of community vibe as like um, something like Book Smart or Dear Evan Hansen or Modern Family or Next Normal. It's like that same sort of like um, dysfunctional family, but still kind of fun vibe. So, which I think is just right. is just a good show to go to, and it's very like feel good. Okay. But yeah, so that's that's all we have, I think. So make sure you follow us on Twitter, on Instagram at Bottomless Bway, and you can also email us at bottomlessbway at gmail dot com. And make sure you are subscribed to us so that you can get other episodes. The next one should be in two weeks. So keep an eye on that. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.